Thank you very much. Uh, this morning, uh, uh, your team that you sent to uh, Mexico City is going to uh, report back to you uh, some of the things that took place in the, the nine days that uh, we were there in uh, Ciudad de Mexico, uh, de Efe. And uh, we just had a, a great time there. But uh, we're just going to get started. We're going to roll right through this and uh, introduce you to some of the things that we did, said, experienced, and uh, some of the lessons that we learned in the whole process. Good morning. This is Mexico City. Well, this is orange, but that's Mexico City. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, Mexico City is uh, an interesting place. They've, there's uh, between 20 and 25 million people there, depending on whose estimate you look at. Um, the latest numbers I was able to find on the internet shows about 19.7 million people as of 2005. When we were down there, we were told that there were 25 million people in the greater Mexico City area. As you can see, it's pretty crowded. Um, <clears throat> the buildings and, and houses and everything are, are stacked really closely together. Uh, here's a, just a little visual aid here. That's Southern California, Orange County. And at the same scale, that's Mexico City. It takes up about the same area as Orange County, just a little bit less actually, but they've got between seven and eight times as many people as we have in Orange County. So needless to say, people are on top of each other down there. Traffic's pretty bad. There's a lot of cars, there's a lot of people, a lot of buses. Um, getting around is, is not an easy thing. Uh, short trips are half an hour easy. The, when we went to the northern part of the city, we were on the road for an hour just to go what appeared to me was about 25 miles. The people, in general, the people of, of Mexico tend to be not very well off. Um, people do whatever they can to make a living. This guy was, it, it appears that he was making shoes. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but it's just on the side of the road, on the sidewalk. He had his little cart set up, and he was, he was doing what he does for a living. Um, a lot of people ride the bus. Here's a bunch of people at the bus stop waiting. Um, it's very common to see three, four, five buses in a row driving down the street. Uh, Tony, what do you remember about Mexico City? Well, I remember that um, everything you drank or like put in your mouth was bottled water. Because if you use tap water, you'd get sick. <laughs> so brushing your teeth, you had to use bottled water. Drinking, you had to use bottled water. Um, washing fruits and vegetables, you had to use bottled water. And um, there's so many people there that you can't flush your toilet paper. So <laughs> you can't just throw it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That didn't bother you at all, though, right, Tony? Uh, it was disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> the electricity there is kind of faulty. Like, there'll be, like, blackouts for short periods of time, just random, no reason, pretty much. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, um, the people there were, like, really nice. I mean... Most people around here think that um, they're like, um, it's like ghetto and stuff where it's all like killing and stuff. 
and there's really not that much. It it only seems like it. I mean, there's like graffiti and everything, but the people are really nice. (laughs) I was going to say, during all of our sessions and stuff, uh, they had things, programs going on for the children. Marty was, a, or Marty, Tony was in the middle of all of that. He was the hit of uh, everybody that was there and just had a great time with uh, all the kids, made a lot of friends, and they know Game Boy there. <laughs> video games. The, yeah, the video games, that's it, right. <laughs> so another thing that um, we were really struck by was... Um, just some of the the spiritual background of the country. Um, I was not aware of, of, you know, some of the the things that we learned, but we did take a trip out to the pyramids, the Pyramid of the Sun, the Pyramid of the Moon. Um, There's some debate going on as to exactly when these were built. Um, They've been attributed to the Aztecs. Uh, It seems as they've done some more research, they think they may even have been around since the time of Christ. Um, But the Aztecs are certainly uh, attributed with worshiping the sun god, worshiping the moon god, worshiping the stars, worshiping um, just about anything and everything uh, just to make sure they don't miss something. Kind of reminds me of the Greeks with their uh, altar to the unknown god just to make sure they didn't miss something. Um, they, uh, the, you can yeah, kind of flip through those. It, it was beautiful to see how much of... Um, you know what was what had been there was still there, um, but again, it's it's sad to see how much they fear and how much they are in bondage to what they don't know, and what they don't know is the love of Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tony and a friend. Um, the other uh, when when the Europeans came to Mexico, they uh, brought Catholicism, and and with that they brought another whole dynamic and so there's a lot of confusion you know we we're not sure what we worship so we better just worship everything um there's a lot of the the mary worship at the the uh cathedral there the uh our lady of guadalupe is the um the icon there that they they have that picture right there is is uh really just a central figure of a lot of the world as, as far as uh, what they worship. Um, go ahead. The, the other thing we saw a lot of was, was people um, in this big courtyard around this place where they were serving their penance, where they were you know, trying to earn their way, trying to earn pleasure, trying to um, earn favor with uh, the, the lady there. And um, another thing that, that struck me was just there were a lot of little um, little huts, little um, I don't know. We were, when we were in Cambodia five years ago, we called them spirit houses, and the people in Cambodia would make daily offerings in their little spirit house to make sure that they didn't uh, that they found favor with the spirits, and and it was just shocking to me that there were those all over Mexico City as well. Um, just another reminder that. You know, they just are not sure, and they want to make sure that um, they try to, to please everybody and everything just so that they'll find favor. Yeah, that's good. That's where I want to be. Um, 
the the uh, the excitement, the joy, the the positive thing that that we have there is Cochremex, and that is uh, our mission team that serves there, and they um, are bringing the light of Christ to the city. Um, Walter Testa, who we support here, is uh, the pastor of the church. He's got a good group of people around him. His wife there next to him, um, Gerardo behind him, who uh, is also from Argentina, who's been there about three years now, and he works mainly with the youth and the worship. Um, Denver in the middle, in the orange shirt there, is a retired Spanish teacher from Pennsylvania who's there helping, serving however he can. And um, Bess Farrell who and uh, Brenda both, Brenda Welling, they've been there for about 19 years in the city, serving in different capacities, but uh, they are very key in uh, in the church there and leading and, and teaching Bible studies. Um, the the next slide is the map. These are the different, well, the orange dot there in the middle is the city, and that's where the church is located. And then the little stars that are showing up around the edge are the different uh, places where we did the meetings, uh, where we had our, our workshops. So they are really reaching out to their city. Um, the church there is... Uh, is growing, is vibrant, and they want to see their city um, come to know Christ. They want to see the light instead of the darkness. The work in city, uh, Mexico City started about 20 years ago. Uh, they only seemed to, um, at that point, uh, there was just one small church, and it never seemed to grow. But when Walter, T- Walter and Marissa came from Argentina about seven years ago. Um, they started seven, uh, six different Bible studies there in the area. Um, they started originally with a, a church in Cochremax, um, and then it kind of expanded from there. And then um, after he was there seven years, three years ago, that's when I guess they started all reaching out to their communities in the six different areas where their people lived. And you've got to realize that the areas between all these um, Bible studies are at least an hour, maybe more. And, you know, kind of like here, it depends on the time of day you take off. But it's just really, very congested. It takes a long time to get from one to the other. Um, um, where we were, we were in, like Chris said, uh, six of the, uh, five of those areas, six of those areas. No, just five of them. Sorry, getting my numbers mixed up. And five of those areas is where we did our uh, workshops. And those were really interesting. Um, uh, Sunday night um, at Cocomex, they worship at night because they share right now the facilities with another church. And uh, Chris spoke, uh, sang. Um, Marty shared his faith there and uh, how he became uh, a vibrant Christian young man and then Ed spoke and my job that night was to take the pictures (laughs) and then Ed fixed them Um, the the following Saturday uh, we met with the church leaders um, Marty taught a class on PowerPoint, and they were more than excited to hear from him because they are very limited in their knowledge. And let's face it, Marty knows quite a bit. 
And then Chris shared uh, the principles of worship here that we use in our uh, morning services uh, with their morning people, um, how to uh, make the just everything flow well, and uh, everyone there was just delighted with everything that was happening and going on. They now have about 200 new Christians in the area. Uh, the the work is just starting to explode. It's just really great. The um, uh, main reason that we went to Mexico City was to do the marriage workshops. We didn't know that we would be spending our day counseling with couples and on Saturday doing the workshop with the uh, the leaders. But it was a great experience for us in uh, in doing that. And uh, we went to the five different locations. Uh, well, the the marriage workshop was uh, Tienes un matrimonio feliz. Uh, do you have a happy marriage? And they did a flyer, and they handed these out in their neighborhoods. Uh, the neighborhoods, that, what happened was three years ago, the, um, the, the people in Kokri Mix decided that they wanted to touch the city. And they go, well, how do you touch 25 million? Well, we're not going to do it from one spot. So people in the congregation opened their house up to host Bible studies in five, six different locations throughout the city. And um, that started three years ago. And now there, there are these six groups that number anywhere from uh, 20 to 30 uh, regularly attending, most of them new believers. And, uh, and it was to the five of those six locations that we took the, uh, the workshop. And they invited their neighbors, extended family. And um, uh, we had numbers of uh, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 at the workshops we had, somewhere in the neighborhood of probably 160 uh, people attended the five uh, workshops uh, total, and uh, half of them were first-timers to their groups in their neighborhoods. So they used us to, uh, to teach about marriage, and they used us as bait. And uh, they did really well in attracting neighbors and people for the first time. And interesting, after all the sessions that we had, it was mainly the new people who came up to Chris and Marty, to Carl and I, and had questions, further questions about marriage. And... Um, and it was just, it was an exciting time for us. Uh, there, we always had food. Uh, you saw that. We, en- we enjoyed, uh, every evening was closed with food. But I don't know if that's what attracted the people or if it was the, the, the workshop. Uh, think about that before. Uh, but uh, it was a, a really good time that uh, we shared together there. And um, we were in a variety of uh, situations. Uh, some rented uh, um, assembly halls and some in, in homes. And, uh, but uh, we were there for the week. But what we, what we did was to teach some principles in marriage. And when we were preparing here, um, uh, we were asking the question, uh, what do you say about marriage to people of a different culture, different language, different lifestyle? What do you say? You know, uh, things may be different in Mexico City than they are here. And we were struggling with that a bit. And we talked with some of you who, who've got some experience in Mexico and, uh, and just uh, input. And we came to the conclusion that this, and that is uh, a verse came to mind. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Regardless of my language, regardless of my culture, regardless of my geography in the world. So let's just teach God's word. Let's find principles in marriage and God's word, and let's just teach those principles. And that's what we decided before we went down. And we said God's word is relevant anywhere, anytime, with any people. 
And the four principles that we taught, I want to just pass on to you here just a bit today. We took an hour to do it there. It took us two hours with translation. Uh, Norm, you're going to translate for me? Is that right? You got no. <laughs> the, um, we won't do that to you this morning. But the four principles are, pre- are pretty simple, and they come right out of the book, and most of them right out of the first book of the Bible. Um, raised the question, I had my camera and I said, you know, when I bought this camera, it, it's, it's got, it can do all kinds of things. It's really complicated, but I couldn't figure it out. Took it back to the camera shop and I said, this doesn't work. And he says, I gave you a manual. Why don't you read it? And I, oh, and we got to thinking here about marriage. And we says, you know, who designed marriage? Who created this stuff? Well, we know God did. Well, what's his manual say? And so we went back to the first of Genesis and we were looking there. And uh, we, found, we found the first principle of marriage that we work from there in Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verse 18. And uh, we had, uh, uh, through the whole scene of creation there, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And man gave names to all the cattle and told us the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man and he slept. And he, God, took one of his ribs one of Adam's ribs, and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And I said, what's the first reason for man and woman in relationship of marriage? Companionship. And we got to thinking about this as we were talking. uh, But Through the whole workshops, we shared examples from our marriage of how this works and doesn't work or, you know, why the principle works for us and when we don't do it, why it doesn't work. And uh, we came down to this, what happens in marriage? You know, we get all excited about each other before we're married, you know, and we got this really cool relationship going on and then we make this commitment to one another in marriage and it doesn't take any long at all until that relationship is founded in function and not in each other. We all have our roles and we play them out and, and that's marriage now. And I lose what was the attraction to start with. And I said, how can we find a happy marriage is going to be found in one that nurtures the relationship? Certainly there are functions, but it nurtures the relationship. And then we said, so, so how, does that, how does that relationship happen? Well, it happens when there's good communication going on. And that was the second principle we came, came to. And we found there in Genesis 3 what bad communication was after Adam and Eve uh, did their thing that God told them not to do and God confronted them about it, what was the communication that went on? Adam blamed God for giving him woman and woman blamed Satan for tempting her. You know, and I go, so, so what kind of communication is this? And uh, so we were talking, uh, primarily focused in James chapter 1, uh, verse 19. Uh, be, uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we spent time talking about uh, how important it is that uh, we listen in our relationship and communication. Far too often we listen to how we're going to respond rather than listening to understand. Good communication cares about the other person and where they're coming from and trying to understand what what they're saying. And good communication is clearly saying what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. 
And we talked about uh, the, just the whole communication here of the, the anger that can surface in relationships and, and uh, uh, when people don't get their way. And what happens when you set your focus in, in being a support and encouragement and pleasing to the other person rather than to yourself in the communication process. And uh, we also uh, pulled up a verse out of uh, uh, Ephesians in the passage of uh, relationships and how people function together. And at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and, um, and in verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That our communication with one another in a marriage relationship is that which encourages, that builds up, that's wholesome. And uh, we tend to tease, we tend to be cruel to one another, we tend to be focused on ourselves, we tend to want things our way. And our message and what we try to communicate there is that uh, when you value the relationship and you value good communication, you're going to have a happy marriage. And we talked about uh, good communication comes out of trust. And trust comes out of a sense of strong commitment. And that was the third principle that we came we presented to the, the couples that were there. And just saying, we found this too in Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, is that the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. There's a commitment that's made here. A separation from, from the family, from mom and dad. And that's an issue in, in many of the families. It, it's a cultural issue. Strong family ties in the, in the, in the Latin culture. And, uh, and it says, and God calls on us to bear responsibility for our relationship as a husband and a wife, as a new unit of responsibility. And, uh, and there's a commitment to that relationship a responsibility to that relationship. And we learned, too, that this commitment required fidelity. And, and we looked at the, the, the Big Ten. Even those who were first-timers, hadn't been around the, the group at all and hadn't been around church much, all knew the Ten Commandments or knew there were Ten Commandments. And I said two of the Ten Commandments speak to this whole idea of commitment in marriage and being faithful to it. Thou shalt not commit adultery and you won't covet your neighbor's wife. I'm going, I guess this is a pretty important deal to God. The owner knows what makes for a good marriage. I said, unfaithfulness doesn't make for a good marriage. Not very happy. And so how do you remain faithful in that and that commitment with each other? And we talked about the necessity to trust God and to rest with God and to walk with God in your life. And we said if, there's good, uh, if the focus is on companionship, the relationship, there's good communication, the commitment is strong, then the result will be love and respect in the marriage relationship. And that was the fourth principle that we taught, love and respect. And uh, we found that in, uh, primarily in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, in that passage that I think most of you are probably familiar with related to marriage, a uh, description that Paul gives there. But we looked at verse 33, it says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And I said, it, it can wear, the, the shoe can fit either way. The, the, the husband needs to respect the wife, and, and, and the wife needs to love her husband. But I think, I think uh, God has tapped some key issues for us in our culture as well. 
that one of the biggest uh, difficulties here is for the, the husband to love his wife, demonstrating interest in her welfare and concern for her. And that the husband respect, or the wife respect the husband as one whom God has ordained as a leader in the relationship. And those two things are difficult for us. I think that's why the instructions are so specific here of love and respect for one another. Because when we do, we have a happy marriage. What happens, the wife doesn't respect the husband because the husband is busy about his work and about his friends and about his stuff and his toys and he doesn't have any time for me. I have no respect. The husband isn't loving the wife. And so the wife doesn't respect the husband. And the husband looks at the wife and says, you don't respect me. I don't have any love for you. What, you don't love me. I don't have any respect for you. And so we have this swirling down in the relationship, and it's lost. On the other hand, when there's a choice to forgive, to let go, and to move forward, I'm going you know, to respect you because God says so. <clears throat> no, well, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> it has to happen, guys, with you. You know how our wives hang with us well long past what I think they ought to. It's up to us, guys, to love our wives. And the description that's given here in this passage, you go back to verse 23, uh, or verse uh, 25, I think it is here, that uh, 25, how is the husband to love his wife like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her? And when you and I, and this is how we talked with the group that was there, when, guys, when you and I you know, love our wives like Jesus loved us, offered himself as a sacrifice, when we were the ones who offended him, when we were the ones who were, who were, were lost in our own selfishness, self-centeredness and pride and rebellion and, and arrogance, Jesus loved us. Not when it was convenient for him. He just loves us with all the grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we're to love our wives in the same way. Now, they're usually the ones that have to offer the grace and forgiveness. I understand that too. But guys, what kind of love do we offer to our wife? And when we do, they're not going to have any trouble respecting us. And then we find in verse 23 that the wife is called to, to respect, to, to be cooperative, participative in the relationship with the husband, submissive in that. And we find in verse 21 in this passage that they're both husband and wife be submissive to one another. So these are the principles that we taught. And uh, we found that they were, uh, I'm going to run over you, huh? <laughs> uh, we found that they were well received by people. Uh, one of the interesting things that came out of this whole time was at the end of the week, Walter told us that a number of the couples in the church had been living together for years. I had no respect for the church and civil ceremony didn't mean anything and there was no benefits to having a legal marriage. So they just lived together, had family. But at the end of the week and the time of the workshop, she said, four of my couples want to be married. They want to have a wedding. And I said, that was pretty cool. And they saw that as an issue of commitment on their part. I can't remember what's next. <laughs> oh, you're going to talk, you're going to talk about uh, uh, Ricardo, Patty. One of the couples we met were Ricardo and Patty. Um, <clears throat> they were newly married, less than a year. I think they're, it's what, 10 months? Not 11 months now. Um, they had been dating for 11 years. And throughout this 11 year period, uh, Patty 
through a series of circumstances, became a Christian. Uh, she um, accepted Christ, and, and she thought, oh, man, I can't date this guy anymore because he's not a believer, and so they were trying to break up. And um, one thing led to another, and, and Jay Bell happened to be down there in Mexico City. And uh, um, through a series of conversations between Ricardo and Jay Bell, um, Ricardo eventually ended up becoming a, a believer also, and, and they continued on their, their, their dating relationship. Um, I, they, they ended up getting married just like a year ago, and uh, we spent an afternoon with them, just kind of encouraging them that, you know, hey, the beginning is tough, and, you know, if you're, if you're committed to each other and, you, and you, you truly love each other, you can work it out. It's just don't throw in the towel before it's, before it's time, you know. And uh, do you remember? Yeah, and that communication was was a was a big one. That it seems like everybody's got problems with communication. I have problems with communication. Um, what was your line? Which one was that? Oh, the, that line says, "I can't read your mind." Oh yeah, yeah. That that that's my famous one. I I always tell Chris, if you need <laughs> something, you got to tell me. I can't read your mind. Um, I told you five times. Just well, listen. <laughs> you have to make sure I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it's getting in. Um, but we, we, were, we, were in, we spent the, the afternoon with them, encouraging them to, to, you know, number one, stay strong and follow Christ, and number two, to love each other and, and be tolerant of each other. You know, if, if he's doing something she doesn't like, maybe cut him a little bit of slack and, 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 and take an easy tack with trying to get him to change. And if she's doing something he didn't like, the same, the same thing for him. Um, you have anything? She's a really good cook. Oh, she's a chef. She's a very good cook. She made us a great lunch. <laughs> All right. While Chris and Marty were with them, we were with the, uh, Marco and Jasmine. Um, they are, as you can tell, a really fun couple. Um, that is their daughter. Um, this is Jennifer. Um, when Jennifer was born, she was born with a bone disorder that when you touched her, you broke her bones. Um, she is now, I think, five years old. But until she was three years old, she had 16 breaks. Uh, they didn't really know what to do. Um, but family members um, asked them to cocoa mix. Sorry, I'm losing it. <laughs> um, and um, they prayed for all three of them, and that was when she was three years old, and she hasn't had a broken bone since. Um, so, and they are also um, a couple that work with the uh, high school. Um, them and another couple um, are working very um, hard, and they just have all this enthusiasm, and they're perfect for high school. Um, so, and by the way, she's, she's a wonderful cook. And if you want a really great dessert, talk to me after this. <laughs> she even, uh, Jasmine even gave us, uh, gave Carla a uh, container of uh, liquid chocolate, that special chocolate, just to make these shells that they put uh, fruit and eggnog and cream on it. And they were wonderful, all five of them. Oh, <laughs> 
But it's great. But their, uh, their daughter, that story is just something phenomenal, that there's no evidence of the bone disease in her today. And uh, they just they call her the miracle baby, and, and uh, the God at Coke Remix is alive and cares. And, uh, and it's, um, it was a pretty, pretty exciting time for them. The, uh, just one other thing I want to uh, just share with you is that uh, we went there um, because we wanted to be a help. Uh, that when Walter Testa, Walter and, and Marissa are on our board in the back, uh, they're people that we support in uh, mission work there in Mexico City. And he was here then in August and said, how can we be a help to you? And he said, I said, what are the needs uh, in the people that are there? And he says, oh, our marriages are just, uh, you know, and I said, what happens if we come and bring a workshop in marriage? And so that's how we ended up going there. And, and I thought, I was thinking in my mind, well, we'd be going to the, the Coker Mix, the church, you know, and do a Saturday workshop and maybe see people during the week and and they said no we want to take you out to the neighborhoods and and we're working in six neighborhoods but we want to take you to five of them and uh and we'll advertise out in the people and i said that whole idea is a strategy that came together about three years ago they said we want to be we want to reach our city and they started these bible studies and all these people since have come to faith in in the various neighborhoods and uh and I was talking with Walter about it. I said, uh, Walter, how, uh, what stirred the heart of the people to do this? You know, you were, things were going really well at Coke Remix. The church was happy. There was, there was, they were growing in numbers. They grew to almost 200 people during that time. And I said, uh, how do you, what do you do? And um, he said, well, we simply told what Jesus said. We gave his call. Spent some time preaching on Sundays on the call that Jesus gave. And on two occasions, different occasions, maybe more, he told his disciples to go to the world around them. Uh, First occasion that uh, we find in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things, and lo, I'm with you always. He was in Galilee when he, when he told him that, in a mountain near Galilee, probably Mount Hermon. And then we find uh, in Mark, in Luke, and in, and in Acts, uh, the command again to go and preach, and you are my witnesses. And this took place just before he ascended to heaven down in Jerusalem. It was important to Jesus that we understand that we are his representatives in this world today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, uh, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. These new things are from God who has reconciled us to himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You are God's ambassadors. And I'm going, Walter communicated that message and the people got it. I've been forgiven. I know that heaven is assured for me. And I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And I enjoy the company of of fellow believers and reading the word together and learning it together. But somehow we miss the command that was so important to Jesus that you got to share your faith. By the way, you didn't know and you never came to faith apart from someone coming and telling you. 
He says, how can we be about that? And that's the kind of message that uh, Walter was given uh, to the people. And then the second thing that he said to, to them was the criteria of how to fulfill that call that Jesus gave you. And he says the clue for us in that was in uh, John chapter 21 in uh, Jesus' encounter with Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? I got a job for you to do. Three times. Do you love me? I got a job for you to do. The basis in which Jesus gave the call to Peter to go do something was love. Do you love the world around you? Do you do what you do out of love? We find in uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthians in chapter 13 that love is the motivator, the message, and the power for all of us in living our life in a relationship with him. He said, if I, if, if I had the tongues of men and angels and I preached and everybody knew and could understand what I'm saying and I don't have love, I'm nothing but a clanging gong. He said in that same context, if I gave everything I have to the poor but I don't have love, it's nothing. And then he describes love there in the rest of the the passage. And I just said, love is the motivator. And then I come down to that last uh, few comments that Jesus made to his disciples. Uh, uh, There that last night that he was with them. And he just said, uh, he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Keep the order right. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who lives in me will bear much fruit. For without me, you can't do anything. And Walter called his people to an intimate relationship with Jesus. And he said when they fell in love with Jesus, they couldn't help but tell their neighbors and their family. And I said, God, I don't want to be like the church in Ephesus recorded there in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus said to them, I have one thing against a lot of things I can praise you for, but I got one thing against you. You don't love me like you used to. You've left your first love. I said, God, challenge my heart. Take my heart. Turn my heart. I want to be the person who's passionately in love with you and can't help but tell other people. It's not a task. I want to. I said, may that be the motivation, the drive for each of us. We talked when we were down there on the team. We said, you know, we did this for Mexico City. Any one of you would like to host a marriage workshop in your home for your neighbors and extended family? Come talk to us. We're ready. We can do it in an hour. Do we have to translate? Yeah, but we'll even go to the we'll even go to the neighborhood Hispanic neighborhoods too, the Latin neighborhoods there if you like. And and, and we have several people who translate with us too. But we you know, what can we do to touch our neighbors and our in our in our people? And that's where I call God help us. We picked up a song that was down there. We learned a part of it and uh, the team's coming back up. Uh, some of them they're gonna sing uh, uh just uh, a verse of it in Spanish, and then we'll join in the chorus that we've learned as uh, we close today.
solo tú puedes calmar tu estoy Señor por conocerte más y beber del río que fluye ante ti Next Sunday is uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, we're going to have a book we're going to give to everybody. It's called uh, The 316 Promise. Uh, John 316 happens to be March 16th, <laughs> next Sunday. But we're going to give you the book. It's a simple story explanation of uh, God's love for us through Jesus. I'm going to ask that you take this and give it to somebody, and all of you will get one. So I want you to be thinking about it this week. Who am I going to give the book to and invite to come on Sunday, Easter Sunday here? But pray with me. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy to each one of us. Thank you for what uh, you accomplished in Mexico City and for the privilege you gave us of being a part of uh, what you're doing there. 
And I'd ask, Father, that uh, today you'd stir anew in each of our hearts uh, an awareness of our relationship with you, uh, a growing passion for you, and a love for the world around us. And Lord, in all of that, may we as husbands and wives learn how to love one another and respect one another. Remember that what we are is a representation of you and your love for us. And may our relationship as husband and wife reflect that. And we commit ourselves to you today, and we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for coming. If uh, you have a need for prayer, uh, there'll be a group that's up here. Come, and we'll be pleased to pray with you. Have a good day.